Content on this production is for entertainment and informational purposes only. It is not medical advice, nor is it intended to substitute medical treatment or diagnosis. Seek medical help if you believe that you are suffering from a mental illness or are a threat to yourself or others. By using any or all of the information provided, you do so at your own risk. Any application of the material is at the listener's discretion and is his or her sole responsibility. Hey everybody, Doc Brian here. Every single one of us have something that we don't like about ourselves, whether that be internal or external, or maybe something we've done in the past. But I want to challenge you today. Ask yourself this question. What is it about those things that make me a bad person? And I think that we will find that no matter what we feel about ourselves, that others don't capitalize on those things the way that we do, that when we look at ourselves, we look at ourselves through a lens that's very biased against us. But begin to look at yourself the way that others do, to know that you are loving, you are kind, and you are compassionate. Remember today you're valuable. Your worth is not defined by what you've done. Your worth is defined by who you are. Today with us, we have Hayes Greenfield, who is the uh, inventor, founder, I guess. Uh, I guess you could say the, the, the scientist who invented the Greenfield method, uh, which is a method that uses sound um, into learning burst, as your, your website says. So, Hayes, it's good to have you with us here today. Brian, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. So, okay, so when we categorize the way that that we learn and how we live, sound plays such a a unique but incredible role when it comes to executive function and getting our attention to moving certain ways. Just before the podcast started, you and I were were discussing sound versus music. And we would, I would have to agree that our body reads sound and music uh, in two different ways. So tell us a little bit about the, the Greenfield method, how you discovered this, how you happened upon it, and, and your heart and passion behind this method. I've been working with young people for 30 years in lots of different capacities. I guess in the early 2000s, I started working with some special needs kids. And I was asked to do a music workshop with special needs kids. And I, you know, I'd, been, I'd have a live interactive children's jazz show. And I did that at all different kinds of schools all over the country and special needs, general, general population and everything. In this workshop, I, I, I got what's called flutophones. They're, they're white, they're like a recorder, but they're not as shrill because I knew I was working with some autistic kids and they're very, they get very sensitive to, to, to sound. And it wasn't about trying to get kids to play a recorder and, and note on and play twinkle twinkle. It was nothing about that. It was about, okay, let's let's deal with them just making sound, making different kinds of sounds and communicating with sounds. You know, it just it was amazing. The experiences I had with the, with some of these special needs kids, and I was working with these fairly high functioning high school students, and it was just off the hook. They're, Three stories that just were, I'll share one story with you. That's okay. Sure. 
so there was, a, there was this kid named Marcos, and I was teaching, I was doing this workshop for teachers and their students so that the teachers could begin, begin to be able to see what I was talking about, sound, and, and communicating with sound. And Marcos was a, a child who was nonverbal. He was in his teens. But it wasn't that he wasn't making sound. He was just nonverbal. He made a lot of sound. He made very loud sounds. He was very disruptive. And you mentioned executive function skills. And the one, you know, there's three attributes to executive function. There's inhibitory control and self-regulation. There's working memory, which is keeping all the possibilities in, in place. And then there's sound, uh, there's creativity, which is problem solving and creative flexibility, cognitive flexibility. So anyway, so Marcos was very challenging because he was always making noise. And with the flutophone, he was playing it. And he never had any inhibitory control. So I looked at him and I was conducting the ensemble, all the kids playing their flutophones and, you know, making quiet sounds with my hands and loud and stopping and pointing and controlling the sound in the room by conducting it by physical gesture. So I look at Marcos and I say, Marcos, you're going to be my soloist. And this is a very important job. So Marcos, uh, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't say, and remember, he doesn't say any words. And nobody there has heard him say any words. He's been there for like two years. So Marcos, I say, Marcos, you're going to have to like, just be there. Don't play, in, don't play anything until I point at you. And I, when I point at you, stand up like you're the soloist and let it rip. And then when I point back down to go like this, sit down and be quiet. So I'm doing this and Marcos is holding this flutophone, you know, and he's, and he's, and he's, it's like he's, he's doing everything in his power. It's amazing not to make sound. And finally, you know, I'm conducting everybody. And finally, I let like a minute and a half go by. And I look at him, and I point at him. And he jumps up and he starts blowing the roof off. It's, uh, it's amazing. It's electrified. This kid is like, he's gone. And I point him to sit down. And he sits back down. And he's like, really struggling. And I end the piece. And I say, everybody, you have to give Marcos a round of applause. Because not only was he a great soloist, but he didn't play when he should have. So two seconds later, I say, who wants to come, who wants to conduct? His arm shoots up and he goes, I do. I want to conduct. So here is this kid. The teacher comes up after me with tears streaming down. She's never heard him say a word. So here is this nonverbal kid who just because he could have the power then to control this, his peers and work with them, whatever it was, he spoke words. So it's like, I mean, and I have many, many, I mean, many examples of stuff like this, which is just, it's so amazing. And then when you shift and you put it into pre-K, that's a whole other world. And it's amazing what sound, I mean, like, I have a teacher who I've been teaching, a teacher that I trained on how to work with this stuff who's talking about, she has these, these three-year-olds or four-year-olds that are, are speech delay. So... You know, I, as we were talking in the beginning about just making funny sounds or, you know, and everybody should know this is sound is loud. It's short. Long. Hi. Low. It's all of these things in between. And so she was just making fun sounds with her kids. And that gave these kids with speech delays, that gave them, first of all, making sound gives you joy, makes you happy. 
makes kids feel safe and calm. And it gave them an alternative because words can be very complicated put into place. And she was describing that before she started doing the sounds and the fun sounds with kids, because they were having language delays and weren't able to communicate, they were hitting and striking out at each other or striking out when they wanted something because they didn't know how to communicate. And now that they had fun sounds, there was no more aggression. They were communicating with sound. It's like reordering how we think about what we expect from our classrooms and how to approach them. I'm dyslexic. I had a terrible time when I was a kid. Learning to read is terrible. My spelling is horrible. I mean, I, you know, speaking is, was difficult. Testing, brutal, brutal. You know, I'm a serious jazz musician. I don't know if you know that. Mm. But, you know, there, there were times and there still are times when somebody asked me to play Happy Birthday. And because it's Happy Birthday and everybody knows the song, it feels like a test to me. And I mess it up mm-hmm. because it's just because of the emotional context that it's wrapped in. You know, and fortunately, when I was in my pre-K years, or from four to eight, I was able to attend a school that was very open, open classrooms, you know, Reggio Emilia type of philosophy, you know, learn at your own rate. There was no tests. There was project-based learning. It was very much engaged with what do you want to, how do you feel today? How do you want to work with today? It was also based on John Dewey's, you know, we go to school, we're part of a community, we're about collaborating, we're about making the world a better place. That All that stuff really influenced me and kind of opened up this door or enabled me to see it and then take the 20 or so years that it's taken to codify it. And, you know, it's, it's, that's just been a, a, you know, a labor of love. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you, you mention about um, playing happy birthday. I play piano. I wouldn't say I'm a pianist, but I play piano, but I have never been able to sit in front of a crowd and play happy birthday correctly. Now I can, I can I play you. it. I, I can play you, it all day long at home uh, with nobody else in the room, but sitting down to play it while somebody sings happy birthday is not happening. It's not. No, happening. it's um, it's a it's brutal. You know, if you, I'm so happy that I've never met anybody who's been honest enough to say yeah, that. Yeah. So <laughs> so we talked about executive function, but there is executive dysfunction, which is not it's not a mental health um, diagnosis, but within that falls the categories of being on the spectrum or autism or ADHD or bipolar disorder or things that are you know caused by trauma like reactive attachment disorder and and those things directly affect uh, your attention, your memory, your focus, your time management. And so what seems to happen here psychologically is that this noise or, or this sound, rather I should say, noise kind of seems a little intrusive, but but sound actually grasps a hold of that function and essentially resets everything within the moment. So in, in what you are doing, it makes perfect psychological sense of how it works for someone who has executive dysfunction. But how does that play into somebody who does not have that sort of dysfunction or disorder? One of the mentors that I have, I've worked with these developmental neuro, uh, neuroscientists, and one of them, Clancy Blair, who 
is a forerunner in this, in, in his, certainly in his field, and I mean like a rock star in it. His last bit of research has been on cortisol and dopamine. And you must be familiar with cortisol, mm -hmm. the fight or flight right. hormone. He was doing this, and, and part of what he was able to place me in a wonderful, in 2012, for five years, I worked at a fantastic uh, Lenox Hill neighborhood house, family center, a wonderful Head Start program on the Upper East Side in New York. And I was able to have access to their kids and, and the teachers and really codify this method. But his work has been about how kids who come from stressed out homes and in terms of Head Start, because they're, they're economically, we know that people who come from very economically challenged homes have more stress in their lives. His latest research was really about how when you integrate play-based activities, right? when a kid comes into school and they're, it can look like they have ADHD and not be able to focus and all of that stuff, they're in their trauma and they're not in the moment. They're still in the trauma. That's because the cortisol is taking, there's so much more cortisol in their system. And as soon as you integrate it with a play-based activity, there's more dopamine in the system, which enables them to be more in the moment, focused and engaged and more calm, which comes back to the beauty. Like nobody's, nobody's harnessed sound like this. I mean, sound is this, we're hardwired to make sound. It's part of our DNA. It's like, you know, and every child loves to make sound. They do it alone. They do it in a group. And they want to take agency. It's the one thing that enables them to control their environment with how loud, right? So if, like, for example, if you have a child that's really loud, instead of just saying, being punitive and telling them, no, 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 don't be that. If you say to the child, hey, I bet you can't make that really quiet sound. Make the same sound quietly. And all of a sudden, they'll love a challenge and they'll mm -hmm. do it. And then you say, can you make it a little louder? Can you make it medium? Can you go, can you follow my hand and make it the way my hand is doing? This is loud and this is quiet. And all of a sudden, that child is then focused and engaged in making those sounds and is developing the ability to hear outside of themselves, right? And, and becoming aware, mindfulness, mindfulness, and developing the technique, the, the ability, the technique to make different sounds. I mean, so I have three or I have teachers that have these three-year-old classes that are working with these kids. And these are not special needs kids. These are like regular old, just, you know, run-of-the-mill general pre-K classes, and these kids are coming in saying, it's too loud in here. Can we quiet down? And we're thinking about three-year-olds. My impression of three-year-olds is that they're always going, me, 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 I want, I want, Elise Sobel, a really great special needs teacher, said of me, because I was doing all this stuff with special needs, she says, you know, Hayes doesn't see what, what kids can do. He sees what they can do. And that, that focal point, that, those lenses, that lens, if we only give our children that much to experience, we would be so surprised at the fact that they really get it. Mm -hmm. And especially with sound. So sound is this, it's just this remarkable tool and it's all about collaboration. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are some, I don't know what they're actually called. I call them attention grabbers that, that pre-K elementary school teachers use and essentially was when they lose control of their class, we'll, we'll use that, that term, is that they will clap or they'll stomp their foot and the class is, is told before any of this happens that if a clap or a foot stomp happens that they are to immediately 
imitate what just took place. And what I have found to be the issue with that is that you get their attention in that moment, but then the minute that the repetitive nature stops, then they're somewhere else again. So how how does your method keep them their attention set? Is it the nature that you're using it to instruct or is it the nature that you are, are, are trying to, I don't want to use the word rewire executive function, but to strengthen executive function? What is, what is your thoughts on that? I would say it's definitely about strengthening executive function and it's about enlisting creativity and it's about giving children a, an appreciation of being able to choose and understand why they're choosing. A lot of teachers are very punitive too, in ways, and expect that if a child isn't doing it their way, the way they want to, then it becomes a a disobedience kind of situation. Instead of opening up and changing your point of view and providing avenues, like for example, there was a teacher who was talking about the fact that she had this kid who couldn't get in a jigsaw puzzle. It was the last piece and he was slamming it down and really angry. And because she's been working with sound, instead of being punitive and saying, stop that, don't do that, as he slapped thing down on the thing, she put her hand down on the, on the table loud and it got his attention. And then she, he did it and she did it and he did it and she did it and she got a little quieter. And then he got quieter. And then another teacher who had been working with that came by and we were, they were, they were doing it. She went like this and she put a clap in it. And all of a sudden, the child was able to begin to realize and have a communication now and self-regulate. So it wasn't so much of just being a machine and repeating the, putting the foot down. But if you, if the teachers had like, maybe instead of stopping at the same volume, maybe started stopping quieter, maybe changed the stop, maybe had some of the kids lead the stop, put a clap and all in hand and get quiet. I mean, children, children love a challenge. And also it's about the deliberate intention. You know, there's no wrong way to do it if you're being deliberate and intentional is how you want to make that sound. Yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned about teachers for the most part, I don't want to stereotype or, or put them in a particular category, but particular teachers who are more new to education do typically are a little bit more punitive and I've got to maintain control. I've got to do this, got to do that. And one thing that I really try to tell not just educators, but parents, is that we have to understand that behaviors are words. They're trying to communicate something to us through behavior. And so when we really stop to try to figure out what that is, then that's when that that nonverbal communication can flow. For instance, if I'm counseling with an adolescent, they may not know how to describe the emotion that they're having. Uh, And so one trick that I use is I ask them to tell me about a character in a movie that they saw that had a emotion that was similar to what they were feeling. And so that helps them to regulate outside of who they perceive themselves to be. And it sounds like the Greenfield method does the same thing, but non-verbally without anybody knowing anything, any backstory as to what you're communicating. It's just a natural humanistic thing that just takes place. Well, it does, and it's about listening. Mm. For example, one of the things that I do with three- and four-year-olds is I, I 
I turn off the lights in the room when there are windows outside. Some some of these schools don't have windows, and I don't know how they do that. But you know, they have win- they don't have windows when they you know I turn off the lights and I and we actively listen. We be quiet. And we and I say I, I close my eyes and I tell them why because I can as I listen with my eyes closed I hear better mm-hmm. so I can hear more things and then we can have a discussion as to all the type of sounds we heard and what were the sounds and how did the sounds you know did they go from was it an airplane that went overhead and went from left to right was it a horn outside in the hallway were there people talking well how old were they were they kids were they adults were they laughing mm-hmm. you know all of these things that you can that you're now saying and you're providing children to really kind of discuss and think about and then act on, you know, they can work with it. I mean, there's, there are elements of, of creative sound play and, and method where I have kids draw pictures and then tell their peers how they want to have those sound, right? So, you you know, like a, a child who's really having a traumatic experience could do a picture and then have it be performed. And you could perform it for parents. You could perform it in a in a public environment, which is which is helping children develop their self esteem. All of these things. It's like it's focusing in. It's how do you how do you want to work with sound? You can have even kids having a nonverbal a nonverbal conversation just by going zip up, blah blah, and some like we could do it. We could do it, Brian. Boop 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 boop. boop. Yeah, I don't speak robot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's hard with yeah. the Zoom. Yeah. But you know, if we were in the same room, we would be doing it. We yeah. could do it with a clap. You can do it. Mm-hmm. You can do it. And all of this is about, you know, part of that is about fostering I, so much is collaboration, communication. Yeah. And, you know, I think that one of the biggest problems that we have within communication is that we listen to respond and not listen to understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that can flow over into nonverbal communication as well as to where we're listening to see how we should respond to what is taking place as opposed to listening to see what's really coming out. For instance, if you have a nonverbal child, you typically, I think all of us could agree that if you listen to the sounds that they're making, you can distinguish a mood Oh, absolutely! as to what they may be dealing with or going through. Uh, so it's very important for us to to pay attention. And I remember growing up in school, we had a young lady that was autistic, and she would just make random sounds at times. And you know, being in the schools in the in the eighties, it was sit down, be quiet. You know, sit over there and do your work. It wasn't any type of trying to think that maybe maybe this person was trying to tell us something. And and we know that sound. Nonverbal communication works. Anybody who's ever seen Lassie knows that Lassie had nonverbal communication that just worked, right? Even with that, you know, when you're on the phone with a loved one, right? when you're talking to your loved one, you know, with just by hearing them, how they breathe, mm-hmm. how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's intuition, right? I mean, it's where it's where it's like, the intellect, the word, deciphering the words, then we have to, then we have, we hear the word, then we have to figure out what it means, and then we have to respond. But what you're talking about, what sound provide, is this intuition. And intuition is so much faster mm-hmm. than intellect. Absolutely. Well, Hayes, I appreciate you being here with us today and, and talking about this. I find it very intriguing. I'm going to have to uh, 
I'm going to have to find the study that you referenced to the neurolog- uh, the neurologist that was on your team and and take a look at the cortisol and the dopamine. Of course, I find that to, to be fascinating how we're hardwired to do certain things, especially when it comes to cortisol and our flight or flight, how it's all it's all in there somewhere. So oh, it totally is. Yeah. So how can people find out more about the Greenfield Method? Go to creativesoundplay.com, creativesoundplay.com. And if you're involved in early childhood education, I'm going to be presenting at the National Association for Educating Young Children that's going to be held in D.C. this year between the November 16th and 19th. And I'm presenting on the 17th at 8 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, for, for a jazz musician, it's a little early. For a pre-K teacher, it's right on point. Well, for a therapist, that's way early. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll make sure to put all your contact information at the bottom of the description of this website. Of course, I'm Doc Brian. You can find me at thedocbrian.com. Yes. Can I say one sure, thing, Brian? Sure. Yeah. I just want to applaud you for doing what you do. Because, you know, I've looked at your podcast. And like I said to you earlier before we got on, you tackle some really tough tough issues. And I just have the greatest respect for you. And thank you so much for having me on your program. Well, thank you for your kind words. And I, I, I can say we do, we do approach on some very difficult subjects and, and subjects that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but what we try to do here is give people as much information as possible for them to make the most educated and informed decision about life. And I think that's what we're all supposed to do. I'm not supposed to try to convince you that you're right or wrong. I'm just supposed to be able to give you enough for you to decide what's right and what's wrong. Beautiful, Brian. Yeah. Of course, you can find me at the.brian.com. All of my social media links are there at the bottom of my website, or you can give us a call, send us a text at 910-777-7239. We'd love to hear about you. If you have questions for Hayes on, on this method, uh, send them in to us and, and we'll get them answered to you uh, here on the air. Uh, this is 910-777-7239. Hayes, once again, it was good to have you on the podcast and appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you so much, Brian. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.